welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 137. Help protect your rights to hunt public land. And I am your host and the guy who is currently on vacation with his wife's family. Okay, I'm going to say this one time and one time only. Help me. So I'm going to be quick today. And we are going to and we are going to get into today's interview. But before I do, I have to let you know that we are 280 days, 12 hours, 19 minutes, and 24 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking. So today I've got an interview with Andrew Maxwell that I want to share with you. And Andrew is one of the founding members of the Southeastern Chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And they're an organization that is fighting to help keep public land public. And there's a big kick currently on a federal level to start cutting loose some of the federal lands and turn them back over to states. And the belief is that the states don't have the funds to manage those properties properly. That's a mouthful. Try saying that two or three times real quick. And because of that, there have been several organizations to form over the past couple of years who are fighting to keep those public lands under federal control and to keep them public so that you and I have access to hunt those lands. So without talking too much about this, because Andrew and I talk about this a good bit in our conversation, I'm going to go ahead and cut into the interview and I hope you guys enjoy that and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, I am excited to tell you that I have on the line with me another Andrew. Isn't that exciting? You guys are going to have two Andrews to deal with today. And today I have Andrew Maxwell on the line with me. And not only is this another Andrew, but he's also another Alabamian. So you guys are going to get twice the Alabamian and twice the Andrew for the same low, low price today. This Andrew is with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And that is a new-ish group that has formed and Andrew reached out to me oh it's been a month or so ago I believe and wanted to tell me about his organization we finally hooked up here last week and we talked for a while about what all they're doing and I thought this might be a good opportunity for Andrew to come on the show today to share what his organization is doing because I feel like it may be of interest to a good many of you guys listening to the show. So, Andrew, how are you and in what part of Alabama are you today? I'm doing good today. Right now I'm in my house in Helena, Alabama. I don't think I'm too far from you. You're not. You're almost a stone's throw away, but I'd have to get a run and start to throw one that far. And with the rain that we're getting right now, I don't believe that it's going to make it too much too much That's interference. Ruined so. all my fishing plans, I'll tell you that. Well, you can still fish in the rain. That's true, but uh, I wanted to set some limb lines, and I don't know, they uh, get swept away yeah, in, the, you're right. in the river. <laughs> you're right that that's a different kind of fishing that i wasn't thinking about and that would be a little bit more difficult so yeah we've we've gotten a good bit i i think and i might be wrong here but out of the past 10 days i think at my house there have been 
or there has been one day that we have not gotten some rain of some sort. So Yeah, I've been the same here. And the, the river's been way up. And yeah. uh, yesterday the bot popped out and I don't know what the river's at now, but it's it's much too high for me to do anything. Yeah. Well and so let's talk about what well, one of the things that you and I like to do, and that uh, other than fishing, and that's turkey hunting. So when we were talking earlier this week, I told you I was pretty worried or concerned about what kind of a hatch we may have here in Alabama, given the amount of rain that we've gotten in the month of May. And you gave me some pretty encouraging news. You gave me an update of, of what you've experienced in the woods. So share that with everybody. Yeah, I went out, I guess it was two weeks ago, or it's probably less than two weeks ago, but we went out to the management area over next to Helena and on a little hike, and we ended up seeing, first we got back to one of my main hunting spots, jumped two hens, and I, I think I told you they had five or six poults each with them. Yeah. They all hopped up in the trees, all the poults did, which surprised me. That There was probably 10 of them, 10 or 11, and then on the way out, we bumped another hen, and she had like seven or eight poults with her, and they all flew up in a tree, so saw a whole bunch of turkeys that day. That was encouraging. Absolutely. That's good news to hear that they're flying already. That means that they've got a much better chance of surviving. So that's that's good news for at least those people who are going to be hunting near that management area or in that management area in a couple of years. That'll be a good thing for us. So hopefully the rest of the state is experiencing the same thing, and we sure could use another year of a good hatch. I think we had a good hatch last year. Hopefully we will have a good hatch and good recruitment this year and can get the turkey population back up in Alabama. So I know a lot of states are suffering out there and could use that as well. So anything that we can do to to help that out would be great. So let's I kind of touched on it a little bit when I talked about hunting that public land, but tell us a little bit about what backcountry hunters and anglers is all about. Well, the organization was started back in 2004 around a campfire in Oregon. It's basically started as a group of people who wanted to conserve public lands and clean waters around the western states because yeah, out there the name backcountry comes from out there because they really do have backcountry you know uh, wilderness areas like cloud peak wilderness in wyoming or frank church wilderness in idaho and so that organization has been kind of growing and growing with their stuff they they do a lot of boots on the ground conservation like they want to one of their main things is preventing illegal ATV use in protected areas, mm-hmm. uh, fighting against the state transfer of public lands, stream access. They're fighting for better stream access in some states. Like, for, for instance, actually, Wyoming this year. I'm actually going to Wyoming this fall on a hunt, and we've been trying to figure out their stream access laws, and it turns out that in Wyoming, you can't touch the stream bed if it's on private land. You can't drop anchor. You can't wade it. You can't stop there. You can't touch it with a boat paddle or anything, or you're trespassing. Wow. So that's something that, that's like one of the issues they work on. It's kind of an example. I think Arizona and New Mexico have some pretty bad laws too. Alabama's not that bad on our stream access, as long as it's like a navigable waterway. Right. Which means like you do want it. So the organization started out there with working on stuff like that, and it's just kind of the, the message resonates with people, and it's been moving eastward. And recently, we've established our southeastern chapter, which see so it's Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, I think Florida, and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, might be South Carolina. I don't remember. Forgive me if I forget South Carolina, but. We just recently started this. We just got recognized at the BHA Rendezvous as an official chapter. And we've been trying to get things rolling here. And you asked about, like, some of the issues that, like, local issues in our state. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been doing a bunch of research this morning on uh, some something with Cahaba because we're we're losing acreage off that management area like crazy. And we had there's some differences in numbers where the Forever Wild acquired land and then but we we have less land than they acquired a couple of years ago. They acquired like thirty thousand acres and we're down to twenty six. So I've been looking into that all morning and it turns out we're down to twenty six thousand acres on Cahaba management area. This year they're removing a four thousand acre parcel near Brantleyville. Those, mm. those are some I told you the other day, those are some good turkey woods in there too. 
Losing yeah. several parts off uh, County Road 13 off of that management area. And Mulpus Timberlands and Valley Creek Timber are two of the companies that own a lot of that land. And they've got a combined, I think, 5,000 acres for sale. They got a 1,000-acre parcel for sale next to the refuge. And so this is all just kind of coming to light. We're trying to figure out solutions for it. And uh, we're losing some stream access here, like for the Cahaba River. There's several boat launches that have actually been shut down recently so that's yeah. kind of limiting people's access to the river and that's kind of a basic overview of our, our local problems that we're trying to fight here in alabama and i'm they're doing the same things in georgia and mississippi and the other states, tennessee that are in the southeastern chapter but we're kind of just getting our feet on the ground yeah yeah so you know you and i had this conversation when we first talked and i this is just me personally so I don't I don't want to, I guess, think that I'm setting my or too set in my ways on this because I, I'm I'm actually I'll just get down to it here. I'm really torn about public land and the government controlling so much of our forest land, timber land, prairie land, everything else. So the reason I'm torn about it is because there are not there are not many things that I have found that the government can do better than individuals can do or a group of individuals. Now, I've got to give them some credit in that with the right leadership, you know, we've got the best military in the world. They do a great job of protecting us. Oh, yeah. Owning land, I don't think, is something that the federal government should really be involved in. However, here's where I'm torn. I'm torn in that you take some of these larger tracts of land out west, and we're talking a million plus acres, and if those were available for sale to industry or individuals, there are very few people in this world that could afford to buy that property and keep it as one tract. And at that point in time, if they did acquire that property, I just don't think there's going to be an opportunity for access to those lands by individuals. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we, would, we would be cutting back those opportunities for us average hunters and fishers, hunters and fishermen, to be able to get onto those properties to, to do the things that we enjoy doing, like hunting and fishing or camping or what, hiking, whatever it happens to be. So... You know, I'm I'm one of those who's torn about that. I I just feel like government doesn't do as good a job managing those properties as they could, but they still are one of the few entities around that have pockets deep enough to manage it as well as it could be managed. And then in addition to that, be able to offer us access to get onto that property to, to do what we want to do or what we enjoy doing. So you know, that's one of those things when it comes to public land and public land hunting that I'm kind of torn about. And I'm a person who actually does a fair amount of hunting on public land. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I guess really for me in what you guys are doing in the southeast, I think is, is a good thing because these smaller pieces of property are being pulled out of these wildlife management areas and these state run public lands and they're being sold off to individuals. And and there are people out there in Alabama who easily can buy a thousand or two thousand acres or, you know, even cut it down smaller than that. They'll buy a couple hundred acres out of a thousand. And so, you know, those public lands in Alabama are becoming smaller and smaller for those reasons. And what's going to end up happening over a period of time is that there's going to be a lot of these smaller pieces of property and fewer larger tracks like we had years ago. And when you go to states like Virginia and you go really, you know, you go Virginia north, and I would say that probably New York State and Pennsylvania may not be the same, but when you get in these smaller northern states, it is extremely unusual to hear of a 1,000-acre tract of land Yeah, yeah. That, that one individual owns. And so... You know, not that you can't kill a turkey on 40 acres, because you certainly can, but it's, I think, a lot, not going to say easier to kill one, but there are more opportunities to kill a turkey on a 1,000-acre contiguous piece of property than there is a 40-acre contiguous piece of property. So, yeah, absolutely. That that's me. That's my personal opinion on it. That's where where I kind of stand. But I, I feel like, you know, for what you guys are trying to do, 
you know, I feel like it's a good thing. And especially out west where there's so much talk of taking these large tracts of federal land and turning them back over to the states. And a lot of these states just don't have the money to operate what it takes to operate those larger tracts of land and to manage them the, the way that they need to be managed. That's absolutely correct. That That's the big problem with it is the state will get stuck with the bill for fighting the fires, managing the roads. And a lot of states, I mean, it would bankrupt them, honestly. Nevada, they've sold off 90% of the state lands that they've held, 90%. So, you know, if the BLM gets transferred to them, I mean, you know what's going to happen with it. Yeah. I understand the, the distrust and everything in the federal government. I, I have my own fair share of distrust with the federal government. For sure. sure, yeah. Um, you were spot on what you said about how they do a great job at running the military, but I think they also do a good job at preserving them, maybe not managing them, which a lot of people argue necessarily BHA, but a lot of people like the idea of federally owned land with state management. So you have a, a more local management of the federal lands, and they, they would do a much better job because the states are great at managing wildlife and land, but they just they don't have the money. Right. And, you know, about, I think out west, it's somewhere around 74% of all people that hunt, they, they rely on public lands. So state transfer of those lands would certainly, I mean, it would cripple hunting. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. It would absolutely cripple hunting out west. And probably here, too, because I'm the hunter I am today because of the Cahaba management area, to be honest. Yeah. Um, a lot of the state lands as well, uh, I think Colorado's state lands, you cannot hunt on them. So that, that's immediate loss of hunting rights before they even sold it off. Uh, Wyoming state lands, you can't camp on it, and I don't think you can have a campfire either. So mm. whereas on BLM, the federal land, you can camp, you can target shoot, you can hunt, you can do whatever. But not a lot of states, their state lands don't even allow you to hunt or recreate. I forgot what state it was, but one of them, you can't even walk your dog on state lands. You get hit with a trespassing fine. Uh, Randy Newberg has a series on YouTube. It's, it's 16 videos of state transfer examples, problems mm. with it, and just the history, like what's happened when they transfer state lands to or transfer federal lands to the state. And some of the examples are just horrible. I mean, like Nevada selling off 90 percent of Elliott State Forest in Oregon is like 86,000 acres, I think. That was all going to be chopped up and sold off in a bunch of different parcels. But I think that they got that stopped. I'm not totally sure, but I think that think that we kind of won that fight. But yeah, like I said, I totally understand your distrust with the federal government. And there's a whole argument you can go into about whether or not it's constitutional and both sides have their point. But yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of one of those endless arguments that nobody will ever win. But yeah. when it's to the Supreme Court, it's aired on the side of it's constitutional every time. Um, but, you know, we face a lot of different problems over here in the East because I don't think Alabama has any BLM land. I don't think Tennessee or anybody else does, matter of fact. The West... The Western states were given state land when they became states, mm -hmm. um, and so they've sold most of that off because it's part of their constitution. If they have, if they're running a deficit, they have to sell off some of those lands. They have to get rid of them. Right. If they're running a deficit. So, like, if Wyoming was granted three million acres from BLM and they were granted it, and it was their state land at that point, if they couldn't afford to fight the fires, maintain the roads, and do whatever else they needed to do with it, they would be constitutionally obligated to sell that land off. So that's the big threat with state transfer. That's why it's so bad. And it's it's a, it's a dilemma for a lot of people because it's mainly the, the GOP that pushes for it. And of most most of the hunters that I know, most hunters nationally, including myself, are right-leaning. So it's, it's kind of a conflict with the party line, which is okay because it's not a, it's not a bread and a blue issue. This is a hunting and fishing issue. That's and right. Once you politicize it, you lose all, all your... You lose your merit for your argument. You don't have an argument anymore. It becomes just like one of these other stalemates in Congress that won't ever have anything done with it because they, they're against it because they're red and they're against it because they're blue or whatever. And nothing ever gets done because it's just a party thing. But yeah. if you can get both sides of the aisle to agree on an issue, it, it provides some uh, pretty extraordinary results. And they'll listen to you, the state representatives. Um, I'm sure you remember like a month or two ago, they... They had a bill in our state that would uh, basically require uh, forever wildlands to pay like a lost revenue tax, the property tax uh, yeah. that they're not getting from the land that they own. 
And I think that the state representatives received like upwards of 9,000 phone calls. And so they ditched that one because we raised our voice and they heard us, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so it just takes people getting vocal, really. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's one of the big things and one of the big pushes for you guys right now, is it not? You're, you're trying to, to grow membership and, and doing that by having more members in the group, your voices or collective voice are more easily heard by those in office. So tell us That's exactly right. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing to try to grow at this point. Now you're you're starting a southeast chapter, so we know that that's trying to grow that is much different than trying to grow on the national level, but tell us a little bit about both if you if you have time. Yeah, absolutely. I got time. Um well, locally, we're just trying to like spread the word about our organization. Like, I I work at a sporting goods store in, in Birmingham. You, I've ran into you there before. Yeah. And I have a stack of backcountry journals, which is the backcountry hunters and anglers magazine that you get when you join the group. And so, whenever the opportunity arises at work, I'll talk to somebody about it and I'll hand them one of those magazines. And it's amazing how receptive people are because coming into it, I I didn't really. I didn't think that we wouldn't go anywhere, but I just didn't think that people would be so excited about the group. Pretty much everybody I talked to, or really everybody I've talked to about it, has been excited. They wanted to know more about it. I've had several people message me on Facebook when I mention it in the comment section. I had like five people right off the bat message me about it, mm-hmm. and they all say the same thing. They're like, man, anything to protect my hunting and fishing. I'm like, absolutely. That's absolutely yeah. right. So to grow here, it's just really so far been word of mouth, but we're also trying to plan some events uh, that'll get our name out and raise some money. They're they're about to do one in Columbus, Georgia on, uh, I think, the 9th, so that's this Friday. It's what's called a pint night. And basically, we go to a restaurant or a brewery or something, and we have this event where things like the, the drinks and everything are discounted. Some of the proceeds will go to the group, I believe. They'll do a gear swap where people come and sell gear real cheap to raise money for the group. Mm-hmm. I think I think somebody's bringing like some really nice paintings or something. I think I saw that on the on the message board, but there's going to be some nice paintings there. So it's just kind of like a fun event that people can come to to get to know more about the group, help raise a little money. And meet, I mean, the most hunting and fishing people you ever meet. I mean, there's a there's a lot of, of hardcore hunters in the group, that's for sure. We all go public land, we usually got to walk a long way. So there's, yeah. there's some people that, that get down with it in the group. Yeah. <laughs> we also do things like wild game cook-offs. It's basically just what it sounds like. We all get together, cook wild game. Uh, mm-hmm. We're trying to plan something for the Birmingham area. We haven't really got anything started yet, but we're working on it. But I know that I think they did a, a pint night in Nashville a couple, I think it was back in February. And they got Randy Newberg to come to it. He's, he's big on the Sportsman Channel. And that sounded like a lot of fun. But I couldn't go up to that because I was going to the NWTF convention the very next weekend. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't make two trips, sadly. But they're doing that in the columbus georgia on friday and anybody can show up to it and it'll be fun so i hope that i hope that a lot of people show up unfortunately i'm gonna have to work so i'm not gonna be able to make it but we'll do one in birmingham pretty soon and hopefully host some other events like that another thing we want to do in the future is maybe get some like large garbage dumps and put them out on the wma like a big garbage can where people can throw stuff Mm because You know probably as good as I do that there's a lot of people that like to disrespect <laughs> the land and they yeah. litter and there's there's garbage piles like you would not believe in some places. So yeah. hopefully we get that done and we'll have a big BHA logo on it and hopefully that'll spread the word about us. The national organization's grown a lot through social media, especially in the, the last couple months. I think uh, when it was Jason Chaffetz, Jason Chaffetz from Utah introduced a bill that would hand over three million acres, I think it was, of federal right. land to the state. And that, that just blew up in his face. The yeah. people went nuts on a on social media about it. So we probably got a good bit of exposure that way. Yeah. Yeah. And but, yeah, that that's good. What what can we do if we're interested in joining, whether it's the southeastern chapter or the national chapter, where can we go to get more information on that and to join if we're interested in joining? You can go to backcountryhunters.com. That's the, the website to join the organization. Or you could just Google search Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We have a Facebook group as well for the Southeastern Formation Chapter. 
And if somebody's got questions about it, you can uh, actually email me, aloutdoors8 at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to tell you more about it and uh, tell you how you could help out or how you could volunteer or anything like that. We're we're looking for people to, to who really want to work uh, to help us kind of kick this thing off. But we also just need people to join, you know, and yeah. you can Google search us and see what we're all about. And, or you could email me, like I said, and I'll be happy to tell you about it. You can get on the Facebook page or there's a lot of stuff on YouTube as well. They got a lot of videos on YouTube about what they're all about. So that was a backcountryhunters.com is the website for backcountry hunters and anglers. And you got to be careful not to say BHA because everybody will think you're talking about bow hunters of Alabama. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, so backcountryhunters.org, not .com, I'm sorry, .org. And that's where you can go to join or donate, learn more about the group. When you join, you'll get a magazine subscription. And also, uh, they're running a, a big giveaway right now that you can learn more about it on the website they're doing a huge fishing gear giveaway with a ridiculous amount of prizes so people might be interested in that as well but like i said you can also email me don't be afraid to email me at aloutdoors8 at gmail.com all right very good very good yeah i think you know getting the the word out especially here in the southeast with it being a, a new organization to the area getting the word out you know, going to be key, obviously, in, in growing the thing and and helping to get those numbers up to where people on the state level, the politicians on a state level will listen and on the federal level as well. So anyway, I think that's yep. a good thing. And I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and tell us a little bit about the organization and where we can get more information on it. And no problem at all. No problem at all. And the the sooner we get on it, the better. The, the state, our state, has lost 143,000 acres of leased public hunting land. Like the, the wildlife management area system, we've yeah. lost 143,000 acres in the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. as, just as an example, Cahaba, when I started hunting it five or six years ago, it was a uh, right at 39,000 acres, right at 40,000 acres. And after this year, we could potentially be all the way down to 20,000, and it's just going to keep getting smaller. Yeah, and Kusa. Wildlife management area is the same way. It, I Absolutely. think it was, you know, 10 years ago was about 40,000 acres, and now I think they're down to about 10,000 acres. Somewhere That's in that exactly area. right. So the, a lot of it's forever wildland, but the forever wildland is not as secure as people think it is. So we're, yep, we right. need to think of some new solutions because they're they're yanking it out from under us every year. Yep. And if we're not careful, it'll all be gone one day. And that's, that'll be a lot of people in the future who aren't introduced to hunting, who don't have a way to go hunting. Because that's the number one people drop, the number one reason that people drop hunting is because they don't have a place to hunt. That's right. So we definitely need to protect what we got so we can look back on it and be proud of what we did. Yeah, very good. Andrew, thank you again for coming on to to share all this with us today. And I hope that you guys listening will at least take the time to go to the website, check the organization out and make a decision from there about whether it's something you want to support or not. Personally, I think I'm getting on board. I've just got to get over my little hang up there. But again, it's all about access, just like Andrew said. And, you know, the public land does provide us with access whether they do as great a job managing that land as you or I could do individually if we had the same funds, the answer is no. But if I had that land individually, I could tell you it would be my turkey hunting land. (laughs) The only way you'd get on it is if you were hunting with me. So that limits your access. That's a bad thing. So if (laughs) if you hunt public land and you're interested in keeping that public land open, Keep or getting better access to that public land, do go check out Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And have a great day, Andrew. Hopefully, I will see you at your establishment where you are employed here sometime soon, but that usually means I've got to spend money, so that's not necessarily a good thing for me, but it's a good thing for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, I greatly appreciate you letting me come on and talk about this. Keep you're doing welcome. what you're doing, man. I love the podcast. Thank you much. I appreciate that. I appreciate you reaching out to me in the spring as well, and it was great to meet you over there and look forward to seeing you over there sometime again very soon. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Have a great day. All right, man. You too. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed the interview with Andrew. And if you're interested in joining and helping out with the backcountry hunters and anglers, then feel free to do so. You know, the reason that I have organizations like this on the show is that it is important for you guys to know 
who's out there fighting for you. And we have about 50% of the listeners to this show who hunt public land. And if you hunt private land, this matter may not be important to you. But when half the listeners to this show hunt public land, matters like this are important to them. And they need to know that there are organizations out there that are fighting on their behalf. That's why I wanted to get Andrew on the show today. That's why I wanted to share this with you today. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I have another little extra something for you today. And that is that I'm in the process of calling some of the guys that we have on this show regularly and asking them about their hunting season. So, here's one of those interviews right now. I hope you enjoy this one. I wanted to just check in with you and see how your season went. I've been calling a few people and checking on them. I know it was a long season. They seem to get longer physically as I get older, but mentally they're never long enough. So, how'd you you end up doing? Wait just a second. When you get older, how old are you? Are you going to tell your audience how old you are? I am 46. I have to think about that and do math. You're still wet behind the ears. Wait till you get my age of 63. You think you think they're getting longer and everybody else out there thinks it's getting longer. Wait till you hit your 60. Okay, Uh here we go. I am 63 years old. It is the worst turkey season I have had since I was 16 to 18 years old wow. on public ground in Camp Shelby. It seems wow. like everybody I have talked with, they either had a banner year this year or they had the worst year that they could have. So I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you think you might be. At some point in time, they are going to win. Yeah. Normal bad, normal bad year for me, hunting six or seven different states. Uh, a bad year would be about 30, 35 birds. A solid year would be somewhere between 40 and 50 birds. A good year would be 60 plus birds, and a better year would be in the 75 mark. Now, that's not what I kill, so everybody right. does not think that I'm there shooting all these birds. Mine is business-oriented. I'm carrying what I call John's, and sometimes some James, too, whether it be shooting a TV show or whether it be a buyer or a writer or whatever it may be. It's my job to get my John or my Jane a bird. Right. Well, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time almost every time. Sometimes you're in the wrong place at the wrong time every time. And that was my year. I saw 12 birds bite the dust. Wow. 12. I had six misses, and I had, I'm sorry to say, three or four cripples. Hmm. So I did not have a what you call a good harvest year, but I had a wonderful year. Because guess what? I'm still alive. I'm still chasing them. And at 63, I still learned something on almost every time. Well, that that's good. I am definitely glad you're still alive and kicking. I know everybody listening to the show is as well. All right, so think back over the season. Can you share with us one or two things that you learned or relearned that we need to know? Sure, that's easy. Uh, it goes back to the basic: persistence, patience, and positioning. It seemed like this year I had some people with me that, let's just say, did not have the patient or mm-hmm. given them enough time. There were a couple of instances to where my John was ready to go and had only been sitting there for 35, 40 minutes. You get up, you take two steps, and guess what? Yeah. Positioning, sometimes when you're hunting with other people on their land, you know, you use and you utilize them and their their knowledge of the land. Uh, or as the old cliche goes, don't guide the guide. There yeah. was a time or two this year that I should have guided the guide is what I should have done. I would have yeah. picked different places to have set up. But more importantly, what I really ran into this year is I was either too early and they were hand up big time and did not have or did not have the patience myself to hunt all day. Mm-hmm. Or either, or either I was too late, like in the state of Mississippi. The three days that Preston Pittman had to hunt for himself, I wanted to hunt a goblin bird, and I wanted to do it that way. Is the only way I wanted to do it, and I went to some private property that I know extremely well. And probably if I would have hung in there, could have killed the bird, but not the way I wanted to do it. And went three mornings and heard one bird gobble two times. Yeah, that was it. It was over. So I was either early or either I was late, and probably seventy percent of the time it was on the tail end of it. I went to Nebraska 
And if uh, the listeners will remember when all that uh, bad weather was going on in Arkansas and Ohio and the flooding, I'm going to tell a little quick story. I've got to. Right. Uh, when we woke when we woke up the first morning, of course we had no power in the duck camp that we were staying in. You it going into it was kind of a it was fun going back and doing things the old way. And uh, when we woke up uh, that morning, it was 28 degrees and there was six inches of snow on the ground. Ooh. Now, we still got four birds killed. I did not pull the trigger, but we still got four birds killed, and I got to be in on two of those, two of the four. Mm -hmm. That was still an awful lot of fun. And then on the way back, highways were closed down, interstates were closed down, and we ended up trying to hook and go around it up in Arkansas. And if you can imagine trying to go through some back ways and getting out in some of those rice fields and some of those corn fields and soybean fields, having to turn around and come back and remember which way you went. And then when you turn around and come back, the road you came in on is now flooded. And we're sitting there going, what are we going to do? We've got to find a house that's high ground just in case we get trapped in here. And we're watching catfish swim across a blacktop road. Wow. Uh, went with Mojo in Texas, had three, four different opportunities that I could have harvested birds. But when you're shooting TV, everything has to be right for the video camera. It turned four birds down in two days. So it was just one thing after another. But guess what? You call that turkey hunting is what you call That's it. That's right. And it's still fun. It's still enjoyable. Uh, if I knew that next year was going to be the same way, I would be just as antsy for opening day to get here again. It was a early season this year. It was a early spring this year. Yeah. So contrary to some biologists that are out there, it is not all about the daylight hours hitting the retina of the eye. When Mother Nature says it is time, it is time. Yeah. And it will happen. Yeah. The last, last week of season, of the Mississippi season, I had verified reports of poach uh, the size of any chickens already hatched out. Right? You bought that back. That yeah. means they had to be breeding in early February yeah. to go through the cycle. You're right. So, there's my season, and a lot of people won't admit to it, but as far as harvesting birds and seeing birds harvest, I did not have the type of year that I'm normally used to, but it happens. You're right. It does happen, and and that's part of it. And you know, I had a I had a year similar to to yours, and that it didn't hold the numbers of birds harvested or the birds that I actually had hunts on. But right. I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm chomping at the bit, ready for next year. And you know, if it turns out the same way this year did, I can deal with that. Yep. I, you, you know, have there, to. There are, there are worse things, you know. It's, um, well, and it, it, it does go back a lot of times to the, 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 the old-timey hunters. I mean, a, a very few, because there weren't many old-time hunters back in my early years. But the one thing that they preached into me and preached into me and preached into me is keep the patience and stay with the basics. Mm -hmm. Or an old saying that I, that I have that less is more. And That's I think right. conservative calling. You know, and spending more time in a spot, especially on older birds, uh, will get you a few more birds. I think a lot of times that whenever you have end up birds, which I experienced early in the season, but was in a situation where I could not go back to the bird. I am notorious for getting on a bird the first thing in the morning off the roof, him have umpteen dozen hens to him. I run to the Waffle House, eat me a good breakfast come back about 10 o'clock and start over again. I didn't get to do a lot of that, just the way things worked out. But I did the few days that I spent all day in the woods. I ran into gobblers keeping hens with them all um, day long. Yep, yep. And then it's like when it ended, it went, whoop, we're through. It's over. We ain't going to gobble no more. We've uh, bred all the hens that we want to breed, and we don't care about another one. God let me once fly to walk away the other way, and I know they didn't have any hens with them. No, they didn't. Yeah. God bless them, and they shut up. They yeah, tried everything. So yeah. it comes back to basically my opening statement that I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you might think that you are. They're going to kick your rear end every now and then. It's going to happen. It's true. It is true. And I, I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again, and that is I'm glad it's that way. Because if we knew we were going to kill one every time we went out, that would mean I'd get to go turkey hunting in Alabama exactly five times. Because that's right. what the limit exactly. is. You got and it. You got it. At least I get to continue to go.
And, you know, that was my, I missed a bird this year. That was my outlook on it. Of course, after I got over the uh, two hours of, of being ticked off at myself that for, for not being ready when I should have been ready, you know, it was, well, I've, I've struggled all year with finding birds that I can hunt legally because there have been birds gobbling on neighboring properties, but not on my properties. I finally found one on my property. I missed him, but I didn't kill him. So that means I get to hunt him again. <laughs> That's right. And he'll probably kick your rear in again because now you have educated him, and that's a good thing. He'll make you a little bit better hunter. That's right. What he'll do. Yeah, no and doubt. Now, now I am gearing up for hog hunting on my uh, little club up here in West Point, Mississippi, and hand grabbing for catfish. Oh, yeah. So I forgot. I have, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, forgot you're a big, a, a big grappler or a... Oh, they noodling. call it noodling, they call it yeah. noodling, they call, we call it hand grabbing, I call it a fish fry, by George, that's what I call it. There you go. Speaking of grease, we, we, whenever we go, we try to keep just a, a few males, but the females go back, you know, they've got the eggs in them, and we only keep what we want to eat, and the, and the rest we release. So, uh, I'm, I'm into that, there's one animal, they, they, they got, and may all your listeners forgive me for what I'm fixing to say, but there's one animal that's on this earth that I have zero respect for, because of the damage that they do, and that's a wild hog, and there are places, I'm sure in Alabama, as they are in Mississippi, that they are destroying the land, uh, I do believe that from time to time they'll fuss a uh, turkey nest, and they breed so much, so quick, so fast, that it's almost impossible to control so now that they have made it to where we can shoot them at night time, I am taking the way to war on them. All right. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing some stories nest, about that. If they get one turkey nest, that's one turkey nest too much. I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, good deal. Well, so you've been out in the woods a good bit since season ended. Are you seeing any poults? Here I have here. not. I, okay. I have not, and I am concerned. I don't know how I'm sure Alabama is getting the same thing that we're getting. Uh, I'm sitting here in the rain, sitting in the truck right now, mm-hmm. and we have had a tremendous amount of moisture, a tremendous amount of rain, and I am concerned that it is going to affect our hatch. Yeah. I've got the same concerns, and I talked to a fella today that lives in Birmingham, and he tells me that he was on one of the WMAs last week, no, two weeks ago, and that he, on his hike on the way in, he bumped two hens that had about five poults each with them, and that all of the poults were flying, and they all flew up in the trees. And on his way out, he bumped a hen that had about eight poults with her, and all of them were flying. So What's that address? Yeah, no joke. I got it marked on my GPS. We'll go one day. (laughs) If you've got another minute, I want to discuss something with you. I do. I know I I get a little bit weird, but our Lord God seems to have a way of working things out. He has a plan. And with that being said, it seems like a lot of times, because remember I also mentioned earlier about the folks that get hatched out the first, I mean the last mm-hmm. week of turkey. It's almost canny, uncanny, I guess I should say, that from what you just said and from what little bit that I know about, it's like we have a early spring, so that means that we have a early hatch. And during the normal hatch time, we've got bad weather. Isn't that kind of weird and ironic? Yeah, it is. You're right. You're right. I don't know how weird and ironic it is. I think you hit the nail on the head with your first statement that that there's a that these things are are worked out before we know they're worked out most times. Yep. So yep. There's, there's one logical explanation for that. No, it's really not. It's really not. Uh, but like you, like you said, you know what? There's always next year, and I'll be there. If I'm alive and breathing and kicking, I'll be there. I hear you. All right, so very quickly, which states did you hit, Did you hunt in this year? Mm, let me see. i got to stop and think. Mississippi, Tennessee, Nebraska, Kansas, and it seems like one more. I can't remember. You mentioned I get Texas. I Oh, oh, yeah, Texas. Yeah, Texas. So that was my five states right there. Mississippi, everything happened early. I didn't have much time here in Mississippi during the first part of the season. When I got to Tennessee, uh, it's like we were a touch 
it was almost hard to to predict. Am I early or am I late? Which right. they had some style. So I'm going to pick to the late side is what I'm going to pick. Texas, I know beyond a shot of a doubt I was late. Nebraska, I was early. And then I had a big weather condition that moved in and somewhat shut them down. Mm-hmm. But in the Nebraska part, a lot of it was maneuvering on the birds. I know somebody's going to jump up and say ambushes. I don't believe in that word. Whenever you see birds, you figure out what's going on. You calculate where they're going to go to. Whenever they're non-responsive, that much calling. And you position yourself either the next day or the next afternoon to where you know they're going to be at. I figured them out is what that is. That's true. And that's what those hunts turned into right there. Yeah. But uh, I was definitely early in the bracket. I was messing with birds. One group probably had 40 to 50 birds that I did not count. And it was just starting to happen. I was watching one big gobbler, and we did end up harvesting that bird. One big gobbler that was running off other gobblers that were trying to come in and mess with his hand. But he would allow some jakes to kind of hang around the, the fringe of it. So there was no doubt I was early there. Right. You know, Mississippi, I was in end-up time, bad, bad. So I'm trying to say, I kind of got a mix of everything that is to the negative side this year. You know, Texas, it was the only thing that wanted to work was two-year-old birds. It's like the old bird that shut it down and was not seeing or hearing very many hens at all. And I was only 12 miles an acre ranch and was the only person, you know, me and the Mojo crew were the only people that ran their hunt. So it's kind of like a, a, a jumble up mixture of whatever kind of problem you can get into, I got into. We were successful to kill a bird or two in each of it, but not what I'm used to. Yeah. But like I said, okay, you know, that's all right. Got into a bunch of ticks in Texas because <laughs> I didn't have my tick bite. So uh, it was just one of those kind of years for me. That's the uh, only way to say it. You name yeah. it, it happened. You know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, good deal, man. Well, I'm glad to catch up with you and, and hear about the season. You know, I'm, I'm like you and every other turkey hunter out there. I like to hear stories, and even if they're not the happy ending stories that we all want to hear, but... You know, we've, we've got to find the positive in them somewhere, and it sounds like you have, and I'm glad to hear that and look forward to next season and seeing what can happen then. Sounds good to me. You need to come go hand grabbing with me sometime. I'll find out what you're built out of when you grab a hole that 60, 70 pound flathead. You know, it's something that I've not really had a whole lot of interest in, but I, I need to do it just to say I've done it. Well, I'll just treat you the same way that I was treated the first time that Mike Littleby took me. And that is, he threw me out of the boat in the middle of Ross Barnett Reservoir and said, you're going to swim two miles, or when I come back, you're going fishing. And after he threw me out the second, after he threw me out the second time when he had left me there for 15 minutes, I started fishing, and I fell in love with it. <laughs> well, you don't have to do that. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm in. So when it like when it comes to outdoors, if if I say I'm going noodling with you, I, I'm in. So well, to everybody out there, take this. I tell you what, I do want to send a little message to everybody out there and take this as a lesson. Uh, for the third time, I'll repeat: anything can happen to you. Take it in stride and learn from it, and educate yourself so that you can take and use and utilize that as a little more ammunition for another year. Great advice. Great advice. As those little tips we need to put up and, and save them because we will need them again at some point in time. And those are things we learn a lot of times the hard way. And it's not fun when we learn it, but we, that we're learning it for a reason. And that's so we don't have to repeat it. So. That's it. There you go. Good deal, man. Preston, thank you. I, again, I always appreciate you and appreciate your friendship that you and I have developed over the past few years. And we do need to get together, whether it's for noodling or chasing a turkey or whatever it happens to be. We need to make that happen sometime soon. Let's do that, all right? All right. Sounds like a plan. Well, good luck right, this buddy. afternoon with the hogs, and I'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Goodbye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to be checking in, like I said, with some of these guys that we have on the show regularly. Some of the guys that you guys have gotten to know over the course of the past several years with me doing this show for you. We're going to ask them how their season went, if they learned a little something, something that they want to share with us, 
And, you know, I kind of feel like it's good for us to know how they're doing because a lot of times we get lost in our own world, whether that was a good year or a bad year. We get wrapped up in that and we forget that we may not have been the only ones who had a year similar to the one that we just had. And I also feel like there are some learning opportunities for us in talking to these guys and hearing some stories from them. So I'm going to be bringing some of that to you over the next several weeks, and I hope that you enjoy it. Okay, that's all that I've got for you guys this week. Before I let you go, though, you know I'm going to ask you for a favor, and the favor this week is this. If you know of anyone who hunts public land that you think may want to hear about backcountry hunters and anglers, then share this episode with them. You can do that a couple of ways. You can share it via social media, either retweeting the tweet or forwarding the post on Facebook, or you can just share it using your podcast player app on your mobile device. That, as always, will be a big help to me because it helps to get the word about the show out there, but it also will be a big help to Andrew and his cause that he's fighting for, and that is for us to continue to have access to public lands. So that's all that I've got for you guys this week. I'm going back out to the beach. I'm going to say this one more time. Help me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.